This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering three conversations from our podcast discussing the recent Nature Reviews article titled Defining Comprehensive Care Models in NAVL. In this conversation, lead author Jeff Lazarus discusses how his interests in hepatology and public health led him to explore NAVL treatment using a health systems approach and what he and his group learned. Next, co-author Jorn Schottenberg discusses the challenges facing hepatologists today and how a systems approach will improve NAVL diagnosis and treatment, thereby benefiting patients, providers, and payers. This article has received a tremendous and richly earned publicity and attention. This is your opportunity to learn what the authors were thinking when they started the project and what they've learned since. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the discussion on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion. Jeffrey Lazarus. The story really begins in in my background in, in, in public health and health systems. So when I was working in HIV at the World Health Organization over 15 years ago and the antiretroviral therapy and the new drugs became available, we realized it was going to be very difficult to me to reach many populations with this new medication. How are we going to reach marginalized populations in Western Europe? How are we going to reach really anyone throughout sub-Saharan Africa, at least those who weren't engaged in hospital services in countries where you have a doctor, one doctor per 100,000, and that doctor's prescribing, and you're in the middle of a, a raging, in that case, AIDS epidemic. How do you how do you create models of care that are going to be fit for purpose, that are going to be effective? So I started working with, with a professor who's now at, at Louisa at the, the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine, Shabar Jaffar. He was then at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And we reviewed all of the different models of care that were in place and made recommendations since there were so few effective models of care in place. And just prior to that, he realized that if we were going to reach people you know, living with HIV who needed treatment, medicine needed to leave the hospitals. And so he ran a large million euro trial, the Ginger trial, that showed that if you took the medicine out of the hospital, in this case on motorcycles, into the community, people could take their medicine, they could adhere, and they would start improving. Their CD4 cell counts would go up, their viral load would go down. Seems pretty obvious but we needed a real-life study to show that that kind of sort of realist trial to show that it would work. We followed that up with the models of care. Years went by. We got new medications in for hepatitis C. The direct-acting antivirals came. All the hepatologists, some of the ID doctors started treating the people who needed to be treated. And we started facing, in some, some settings, diagnostic burnout. Suddenly, you know, where are the people who need to be diagnosed? But for those who are diagnosed, some of them are lost to follow-up. Some of them really aren't engaging with the healthcare system. So we wrote a paper on models of care you know, in, in the DAA era. So what kinds of setups did we need to sort of what, where, who, and how of health systems for viral hepatitis? And then as we've been looking at the situation with NAFLD, and NASH as the new estimates have come that maybe as many as one in four adults in the world have the condition that the vast majority not only are undiagnosed but don't know anything about fatty liver disease. I suggested to a group of hepatologists and including Yaron who's the co-senior author with Manuel Romero in Sevilla that we do another study on models of care. Each study's been quite unique with different partners and approaches but essentially it starts with a literature review where we define what kinds of models of care would we want to include as, as successful, which means they also have to show outcomes. So we found many studies that aren't included, some are mentioned in the discussion, that seemed like an interesting model of care, the way a clinic or hospital is designed for, for fatty liver disease, but um, there were no outcomes, so we don't, or no, or no comparators, we don't really know if it was a strong model of care or not. So when you introduced the paper, you said a review of UK findings or, or published articles, and, and most of the studies were in the UK for reasons I'll explain, but it was a global review that ended up with a handful of studies that were largely from the UK, 
where one, there are a number of clinics and, and hepatologists doing an amazing job addressing NAFLD NASH, and they're also publishing their results. And so one conclusion we had is that we really do need, in addition to new models of care and replicating models of care and more data, we need people to make sure they're publishing in that field. And that's a bit new, and I'd like to hear Bjorn's thoughts on that later. But for hepatologists to be having to write about health system setups isn't the common ground for hepatologists. The HIV doctors realized that they were going to have to engage with marginalized populations. They were going to have to think if their clinic was fit for purpose, and they were going to actually have to leave their clinic and, and go into the field and go into the community if they really wanted to reach those in need. This is new territory that hepatologists have started facing with hepatitis C, a little bit with hepatitis B, but in fatty liver disease, not at all. So we brought together, as you mentioned, an amazing group of, of experts from around the world, mostly clinicians. There's a nutritionist from Israel. There's a colleague from the Israel International Liver Foundation. And I think everyone else is basically a hepatologist, an endocrinologist. And we talked about what would a good model of care look like? How would we define it? So we, we had discussions where we started brainstorming what that would look like. And then we carried out the literature review that I mentioned with some very stringent inclusion criteria about what studies would, would make the cut and everything else that didn't. And that was interesting would, would make it into the discussion. So in the end, we found very few comprehensive models of care that are really providing patient-centered health care. So the idea was that patient is always at the center and the service works essentially around the patient. So let me give you some examples from the recommendations we came up with. When we said, you know, what services should be provided, we came up with four key recommendations. So one, and they might seem very obvious, but they're often not happening. You can essentially use this eight recommendations as a checklist to look at your own service. So anyone listening here can say, well, number one, establish clearly defined care pathways that are tailored to assessing the stage of disease, presence of comorbidities, and the optimal health outcome for the patient. So we don't always have clear care pathways for the patients. It's not always clear to the clinicians or the administrators at the hospital, and it's, it's very rarely clear to, to the patients themselves. Develop guidance on screening and testing with, with NITs, with non-invasive tests. So we know the challenges of NITs and the importance of NITs, given that right now a biopsy is considered the gold standard and, and used for the endpoint in clinical trials. Develop guidance on treatment strategies for patients related to their disease stage. And given the current dearth of, of available treatments, this means largely structured lifestyle interventions, which means you really do need multidisciplinary care because, again, addressing nutrition, diet, weight loss, lifestyle issues isn't, isn't, isn't necessarily the realm of hepatologists. And the fourth within what services should be provided is outline actions for preventing disease progression in primary care for patients with early stage disease not requiring specialist hepatology care. So the hepatologists made it really clear that if we sounded the alarm on, on fatty liver disease and everyone stormed the hepatology clinics, I, I said that probably wouldn't be the case. But if they did, there would just be too many people and too many of them that didn't need specialist care yet. So there's a recommendation here for the primary care level for GPs, family doctors to start addressing this. And given it's the liver component of metabolic syndrome, it can fit in with many of the other initiatives they're making, they're carrying out at the primary care level. The second area we had had two recommendations, and that was where should these serve services be provided. So we said articulate and define the roles and interactions between primary, secondary, and tertiary care providers. Like I said, 
This seems pretty obvious, but it's not. So primary care doctors say there's a liver problem. We're going to refer to hepatologists. Hepatologists say it's not that serious. They're going to send back to primary care. And, and the patient's wondering what's going on. So we need to be clear who sees the patient and when. The sixth recommendation is establish where services for NAFLD can be co-located with services for the treatment of common comorbidities. So do you need to go to the hepatology department or is it possible to have multidisciplinary clinics? You might be dealing with obesity at the same time, diabetes or or other comorbidities. So some kind of co-location or close even through video joint care or multidisciplinary care teams needs to be considered moving forward. All of this doesn't have to happen at the same time, but these are the recommendations we have for for comprehensive models of care for NAFLD and NASH. The seventh, who should these services be provided by? Define the composition and structure of the multidisciplinary team responsible for managing patients. Sometimes the hepatologist will play little or no role. Sometimes they'll play the central role. That will depend on the degree of fibrosis. How can these services be integrated and coordination provided? So the last and eighth recommendation is establish effective systems for coordinating and integrating care across a healthcare system. And so that raises issues that we were faced during the COVID-19 pandemic, like electronic medical records, electronic health records, who has access to what, especially if you're essentially locked out of your, your hospital because of the COVID situation. So how do we integrate? How do we share information? Um, right now, there's a large review going on of the European health data laws, and there's lots of questions around confidentiality, who's going to have access, who shares this information ultimately with the patient. So those are eight recommendations around the, the what, where, who, and how of comprehensive models of care for, for fatty liver disease. And as you mentioned, this has just been published. It came out during the International Liver Congress, got a lot of attention there, and will continue to, as we're doing now, to, to prevent and discuss, because what needs to happen now is you need to take those eight recommendations, drill down at the clinic level, the hospital level, cities, countries, and make sure that we have patient or I would even say person-centered healthcare. So it's for the patient, but it's also for the healthcare providers to make sure they're clear what their what their role is and how we can end up the best possible outcomes for the highest number of people. Thanks, Jeff. That was really great and remarkably clear and covered a tremendous amount of ground. So thank you. Excellent. Jorn, I guess I turn to you next as a senior co-author and just ask for comments, reflections. Jorn Schattenberg. Thank you. And I think Jeff covered it brilliantly. When Jeff reached out and mentioned to me that he was interested in, in combining these type of analytic healthcare systematic approaches to, to think about a disease, I was very thrilled and happy that I that I could contribute because it's it's totally different from the way the clinician thinks of this. You know, you have your individual person, patient, you'd like to provide best care. You wonder where you send them afterwards. Will he be able to adhere? When do I see him back? And, and how, how does this develop at the individual level? So this really takes the entire story to the next level and is thought to guide the scientific community, but also other key players on, on how to establish this at a level where all the patients are concerned. So outside of my classical one-on-one in a clinical situation. And really, I learned a lot from Jeff and the team during this. And we had great discussions with all the peers coming up with what is very straightforward and well-voiced recommendations that will be critical in, in moving forward and implementing best care for our entire patient population. You aren't, we talk about an idea called the blinding flash of the obvious, which is something, a way you never looked at something that once you see it, you 
could never not look at it that way again. It feels like this might have had some of those moments in it for you, given the discipline that Jeff brought to the party. Can, can you give an example of one particular moment in the process where you said, gee, that wasn't how I looked at things, but that's exactly how I need to? In the clinic, you get the referrals for liver disease and they come by all flavors. They come because somebody thinks they, they have a certain disease or it's more because the patient is worried about an elevated liver function test. And I think if you look at the first recommendation, it becomes very obvious that there's no established referral pathway. Some patients just come because they look at their own labs or maybe some other physician thought something is wrong, but they don't know what is wrong. And we really need to provide some guidance for these people and potentially also some recommendations on what I'd like to see as a hepatologist to then decide whether this patient has to be referred or maybe can be managed in different sitting to be able to work in a cost-preserving approach and guide that. At this point in Germany, I'm telling you, I'm seeing irrespectively of the underlying severity or cause, I'm probably seeing most patients just for elevated liver function tests. It's not funneled well, and I don't think we can continue to work this way. We need these clear referrals and guidelines, and we're within Germany currently trying to set up a white paper, partially based on the work Jeff has invited us to, to join him in here, and refine how patients should be referred at what point and who should be involved. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We will be back next Wednesday, August 11th, to discuss the multidisciplinary call to action in the face of the Nash pandemic that connects endocrinologists, gastroenterologists, and primary care physicians in pursuing multi-specialty care, Nash and NAFL. Stephen Harrison was a co-author, and we will be joined by Ken Cousy, who sat on the steering committee for the project. This is an important initiative, and we are thrilled to bring this episode to you. I I hope you will join us then. Until then, stay safe, surf on, see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. Bye.